now it's time to pass over to Sam. He's going to be um, preaching to us this morning. And um, yeah, just hand over to you. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. It's a bit stand up, sit down, isn't it? It's, uh, I think I'm the worst for it. I, I mean, it's, it is a known fact that God hears our prayers more when we stand up because we're slightly closer. But I think um, it just helps us to move around a bit, doesn't it? But you get to sit for a few moments now. When, uh, I'm going to unpack a little bit of uh, the continuing series that we're doing called God Is. And uh, if you've been with us a few weeks, uh, you'll know. But if you don't know, uh, you can catch up online if you want to. Uh, we've been basically just taking different elements of God's character and trying to highlight them. So look at different parts of who God is. God is God. Uh, he's uh, much bigger than any of us can uh, imagine. And yet there's a lot that we can learn about him from his words. And we've wanted to just take a little bit of a journey through uh, some quite key things that we think uh, are worth highlighting for us to, to consider what kind of God we serve, what kind of God uh, is king. And uh, I'm quite looking forward to this morning. We've looked at a number of, of excellent characteristics of God, um, a number of, of really helpful things that have, uh, I think, been really valuable over these uh, recent weeks. But this morning, we're going to look at a God who is gracious, a God who is gracious to us. And uh, that's, a, that's a very kind of Christian-y word, I, th- I think. It's used outside, but I, I think it's a, it's a word that we commonly use. And I want to kind of just try to help us to understand what it means for us to have a, a God who is gracious. Uh, when we talk about grace, what we're talking about is unmerited favour. Uh, that's, that's the way in which the Bible uses this word, unmerited favour. It, it basically, I think sometimes we might make it about forgiveness, and, and it's definitely linked with forgiveness. But if forgiveness would take us back to neutral, grace goes further than that. Uh, grace is about um, receiving something that you don't deserve, it's about receiving something that is unmerited and uh, has been given to you. And we're going to look at what uh, the Bible talks about with grace and uh, a God who is gracious. And uh, we're going to look at that from Romans 5. You can start turning there if you want to. But essentially, grace is everywhere. Grace is the whole story of God. Um, and so it's not really, uh, you know defined within a few verses. I think, you know, you read the story of the Bible, uh, the story of God, it's, it's littered with grace. That's what he's about. And uh, so from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, it's a story of a wayward people, a people who turned away from God, who uh, did, their own, did what was right in their own uh, mind. They didn't recognise God as their king. And uh, the Bible refers to that sin, that their actions then were, were sinful against a holy God, a holy God that we've looked at uh, as part of this series. And they uh, did their own thing, but God has been gracious towards them. He is clearly kind of separated. There's a distinctness between uh, God and sin. He, he's holy, as I mentioned before. And yet he has, he has found a way to bring that wayward people back, to bring us back to him. Uh, What a wonderful saviour that we serve. Even last week, Phil looked at a really helpful subject. God is angry towards sin. God is angry towards evil. Uh, I think that was really helpful for us to look at that, the kind of 
the balance, that God is, is not somebody that overlooks sin. He's not somebody that, that overlooks this wrong, this waywardness. Uh, there's an anger that burns towards it. There's a, there's a, justness, a justness that comes from him. He's, he's righteous. And so he deals with sin. He deals with evil. That would be right for him to do. But this morning, I want to really just highlight for us what it means to have a gracious God. And like I said, this is everywhere. You might be thinking now in your minds of a, a few different stories, individuals maybe in the Bible that you know, biblical stories where you think, gosh, gosh they, they majorly failed. Like they, they weren't even like close to the mark and yet God has been kind to them. That's, that's throughout the stories, isn't it, that we read all over. I uh, was reminded of some in preparation for this. Here's, here's just some that I thought I'd highlight for us. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Isaiah is talking about um, the, the people of God, the Israelites, and how they, they turned away from God, how they, they sought after other things, how they put um, uh, other, other kings in God's place. It says that they trusted Pharaoh and not God. And uh, there's all these kind of uh, things that, that Isaiah... Uh, mentions, but then it says in verse 18 that God waited to be gracious. Isn't that a beautiful image of a God who is waiting to show that he is gracious? Like, that you, you know, you're going you're gonna to run around doing your own thing. You're going to be uh, kind of involved in whatever you need to be, but actually I'm going to wait and be gracious. It's a similar theme that Jesus picks up in Luke 15. Oh, he's talking about the prodigal son. That the, he's painting this picture of what God looks like—a son who is, is uh, you know, wasteful. He, he turns away from his father. He runs away. He spends all of his uh, inheritance. He he does his own thing. Lives his own life. Uh, and then Jesus says, "But God is God is like a father who's waiting. He's waiting. He's looking across. Is is he coming back? Is he coming back yet? And then and then when the son comes back." He asked for forgiveness. He asked, for, would, it, would it be okay if I just worked for you? You know, I don't deserve anything else, but would, would it be okay if you forgive me enough that I can just get back to neutral? I can just be one of your servants. I can work. But Jesus said, no, God's not like that. That's not what God's about. God instead puts a robe on him, gives rings on his fingers, pulls a massive party. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the grace of God that we see throughout his word. There's a number of other stories as well. I, I, one of my favourite stories is the story of Mephibosheth in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 16. You may or may not know it. It's talking about uh, David, how uh, David has defeated uh, Saul. And there's, there's this moment, this, this character called Mephibosheth, uh, who in essence is an enemy to David. He's somebody that is worthy of death, worthy of being eradicated. But David says, no, I want to I be kind to a descendant of his friend Jonathan, of who Mephibosheth is. And so Mephibosheth comes before David and he's ready to kind of pleading for his life, saying, I know I don't deserve anything. I know I'm an enemy of yours, but please just, just don't kill me. And what David does instead is he, he forgives him. And then it says that he eats at the king's table. Mephibosheth is invited to the king's table. He eats, he feasts with the king. He's shown immense kindness. And throughout this book, we see glimpses of this. We see wonderful moments of grace, wonderful expressions of grace towards people and a theme of grace. But what's most vividly seen 
is grace in the person of Jesus. Titus 2 verse 11 says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. The grace of God has appeared and it's appeared in the person of Jesus. That's what we've been singing about. That's what we're going to continue to sing about after I've finished speaking. He's appeared and it's about him and that moment is God's grace appearing to us. So we're going to look at what that means a little bit for us. Uh, and I want to open up Romans 5 and look at a big chunk of that uh, and just try and uh, maybe make a few uh, points from this. I think grace is such a huge subject. We could do series on grace, couldn't we? And, and probably never get to the end of it. But, but this morning, hopefully, we can just take away some things that, that highlight uh, and allow us to worship God more for his graciousness to us. So if you want to follow through with me, then we'll read the first uh, part. We're going to start at verse 12 of Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is counted where, uh, sorry, sorry, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, for who a type of one who was to come. What does that mean? Essentially, Paul starts off in this section looking at our position before God. Our position before God. All of humanity has been infected by one man's sin. That's what we read about. In the garden, Adam, the first man, uh, his disobedience towards God has led to sin and death entering into God's holy creation, his perfect creation. It's polluted uh, God's world. And Paul uh, talks about this in a little bit of detail, and I think it's really helpful. He refers to the law. The law was given to Moses. We read about that um, uh, early on in, in Exodus, and God's instruction for how to live. He, he gives a, a law, says, like, this, is, this is what's expected of you. This is the way in which I'm instructing you to live. We'll look at that in a bit more detail. But even before the law, even before that was given, Paul said there was sin. There was sin. And there was sin on us. The Bible's very clear that we have inherited sin. We've been born into it. We've been caught up into Adam's original sin. In this uh, short chapter, chapter 5, Paul says through six times. He says through. You've entered through. He's contrasting what we've received through Adam and then later on, when we get to the good bit, it talks about what we receive through Jesus. He's saying, but you're, that's, you're through Adam and through Adam, you're in sin. You're born in it. The Bible describes that you're, you're dead in it. You're, you're so caught up in it. It's not like you want to get out of it. You're dead in it. You're incapable of doing anything to uh, flee it. You're, you're in it. We are sinful as we're in Adam. That's our natural position, to be enemies of God. Just as Adam turned away, just as Adam was disobedient to God, just as Adam uh, did his own thing, thought he knew best, chose to 
not trust and turn to God, so have we. And this is the kind of position that the Bible paints us in. If you're uh, a person today, then this is you. It's not exciting reading. It's difficult, isn't it? Because it's probably not really the way in which we uh, consider uh, how we think things should be. Like, you know, I've done nothing wrong, maybe. You know, it's, it's difficult. I've been judged by somebody else's failings. But Paul says, no, you know, it's important that before we get to talk about grace, we understand the backdrop in which you're living in. You're in Adam. You're in Adam. You're caught up in sin, unable to rescue yourself. There's nothing within us that's capable of bringing change. But more than that, there's nothing in us that would want to bring change because we're dead to sin. We're dead in sin, sorry. Verse 20, then says, Then when the law came, it came and it showed that we are actually all in sin because our actions, our behaviours are below what's expected of us. It says that sin increased when the law came. It's not just about Adam. The law showed us how far below God's standard we are, how our heart attitudes, how our actions are not in line with that that is expected by a holy God. It showed us that we've not met these requirements in the same way as Adam, we've not honoured God and sought him as king over our lives. We're helpless in this position. This is, the, this is the kind of backdrop. This is the darkness. Before we look at grace or anything else, it's important that we understand the position in which we are. Both the position that we were in Adam, but also our own actions. Also what we've, what we've done in our own life. This is... Uh, I guess the, the backdrop, Phil talked about this a little bit more, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but it's important that we kind of get it before we then talk about grace. And so verses 15 to 20, let's see what Paul says. What's the, what's the result of this? Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. Uh, sorry, I'm all over the place. Let me stop. <laughs> but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Feel free to say hallelujah at the end of that. Friends, this is wordy, but it's so important. It's so, such good news to us, what Paul is sharing here. There's a number of things to pick out. Firstly, this is a free gift. God's grace is a free gift. It's not earned. There's no way in which we can earn it. 
he makes that very clear. This is something that has been won for us by Jesus Christ, death on the cross and his resurrection. We are uh, recipients of the benefit of that. We are caught up in his wonderful sacrifice that we, by his grace, get to, get to be in. Through Adam, many received condemnation, but through Jesus, grace has abounded. Grace has abounded. Isn't that beautiful? You know, that's a really important word. He uses it a couple of times. He, he, he talks about grace in this way, that grace has flooded in where previously there has been condemnation. And it's not kind of been rationed or, or measured like you might expect. Well, you know, there's a little bit of grace on that. You know, that's not necessarily a, a big sin, little sin. You know, no, no. He says it's abounded. Where there's sin, grace has abounded. It's really important language that Paul is using. Grace is given to a disproportionate level. A disproportionate level. Twice in this chapter, Paul talks about abounding abundance of grace. Abounding grace. He has been lavishly given. And it far outweighs. It far outweighs any condemnation. It's important to hear that. You know, this morning, if you feel condemned, if you feel the whisper of condemnation, no. Paul says... There's an abundance of grace that far outweighs that. Far outweighs that because of what Jesus has done. Verse 20 is so important. It says, where sin increased, grace abounded the more. Where sin was on the rise, grace outdid it. Grace continued to abound. It's important to hear for us. If you are thinking that you're falling short in areas, if you're feeling guilt around that, it's important that you hear verse 20, grace abounded. Grace is not a proportionate response to sin. It's disproportionate. And uh, I wanted really to talk about this because I feel like I've had a number of different conversations with people on this subject where I feel like I'm feeling really weak in this. I'm feeling really like I'm really struggling in these areas. Friends, it's really important that we remind ourselves of what Paul says in these verses. I feel like I've completely blown it. I feel like uh, this week there's been a number of things that have happened that shouldn't have. Maybe you feel like that uh, yourself. Maybe you feel uh, far from God. Maybe you feel that, that whisper of condemnation that comes from an enemy. You need to hear verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Friends, if you hear nothing else today, please take away that verse. Where sin increased, grace abounded. Condemnation has been credited through Adam. We talked about that, but righteousness, being made right with God, being called blameless, accusation free, has been credited through Jesus. That's what we've won through what he has achieved, not our individual achievements, but by his grace. Through Adam, we had judgment. Through Jesus, we're justified. We're made right before a holy and righteous judge. We stand before him not condemned. That's what grace is. That's what grace says. This is truly wonderful stuff. Verse 17, I love this. Paul talks about the fact that we can reign in life. He says, death used to reign, but it's been defeated. In verse 17, he says, no, now, now if you're in grace, those of you who receive grace, you reign in life. 
reign in life. What a, what a statement. Do you feel like you're reigning in life this morning? Maybe some of us. This is a spiritual reality. You reign in life. What does that mean? It, it means that this is a truth that we can, uh, that we can rejoice in, however you're feeling. It's a truth that we can be centred on. I wonder how many topics of conversation have gone like this. That how, How's your week been? Well, I'm reigning in life. I very much doubt there were many conversations like that before the service, were there? How have you felt this week? Well, I'm just reigning. No, well, life gets in the way, doesn't it? We know that. I'm not saying that this is something that we just, you know, covers over all those challenges. I'm not saying that. But this is a spiritual reality. Paul says you reign in life. It's important that we know what that looks like. And I think he helps us with the early verses in chapter 5. He picks out a few things. It says that you have peace with God. You have peace with God. You're no longer an enemy of his. You, you have peace. Peace is such a wonderful thing, isn't it? Particularly in our day. It says you have peace with God. That's something that means that you reign in life. He says that you have access to the living God. These are all things from the early part of chapter 5 that we haven't read, but you can have a look at them yourself. You have access to the living God. There's nothing in your way, nothing that would prevent you from coming before God. What a way to reign in life. You can come before him. A closeness that's promised. It says that you can rejoice in hope. You can rejoice in hope because you have an eternal Significant, you have an eternal hope, one that can't perish or fade. That's why you reign in life, because you have that hope. Friends, I want to encourage us to think this way. The Bible talks like this. It says you're more than conquerors through what Christ has done. And like I said, it's not about kind of grinning and getting through difficulties in life and, and, and lying. But this is a spiritual truth that says that all of us, if you're in Christ, you're reigning in life because these truths are deep within you. A hope, a closeness to God, a peace with God. What a wonderful saviour we have. But I know there's a number of questions that come with grace. And so I, I wanted just to, to look at them a little bit just to try and help us because I'm sure even um, this morning there'll be some questions that are cropping up. And so I want to just flip over a little bit into chapter 6 because I think this is really helpful. How do we live in light of God's grace? So it's wonderful. Like what we're really talking about is God is this. God is gracious. Hopefully we can see that quite clearly from Romans 5, that that is who God is. But how do I then respond to that? How do I respond to his grace? What difference does that make to me? The start of chapter 6, really, uh, I love this, this verse. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? It's really interesting. Paul's kind of saying, look, he's gone on this rampage of the wonder that is grace. And he says, the natural reaction to that then is what you would say, well, do I just keep on sinning then that grace may abound? Is that my response? Should I, should I just carry on in this way of life that grace May abound. It's wonderful that I think that the question's even asked because it means that, that you've probably understood a little bit of what it means to be in grace. I think probably our 
reaction towards grace is probably not as, as shocking as it should be. But, but Paul says this is the natural response. If you've really understood what grace is, this should be a good question. That, that should I just carry on then? Because grace is so wonderful. Grace is so, uh, so outrageous in my life. Should sin continue? And that grace may abound. He said, by no means. By no means. Grace is so important, but it's also offensive to our hearts. It's offensive to our hearts that we receive something so freely, so outrageous, such a wonderful act of generosity. And there's a real challenge that we see in living in grace, that we see uh, both in our own hearts, I I definitely see this, and, and we see it across the New Testament, where people receive grace and then they want to add to it. They say, this is such a wonderful truth, this is so... It's beautiful that what God has done for me, what Jesus has won, his victory. But then how do I live? Well, I need to add to that grace. And we see that throughout the New Testament. Paul is battling with this very subject. He goes to a number of, uh, of different church contexts. And this is the, the, the thing that he speaks into most kind of pointedly. Uh, if you read in the book of Galatians, most, uh, most obviously probably. But he's addressing where Christians are adding layers to grace. So they're kind of saying, look, yeah, God has done this for me. God has won this for me. But I kind of need to to maintain that. I maybe need to kind of meet him halfway a little bit and do these things that are going to mean that I kind of keep him happy. And this is what was happening in the early church. So we had uh, Jewish believers that were were being saved and were were experiencing this wonderful grace. Uh, And then the Gentiles were, were also being saved. And then they had kind of Jewish believers coming over to them saying, well, look, it's really great you've been saved. Isn't this grace wonderful? But we've known this God quite a long time and we know a few things that make him really happy. And what really makes him happy is if you're circumcised. And it'd be really make him happy as well if you don't eat that and you do do this. And, and, and they basically added to grace. And Paul is saying, no. No, you can't do that. You can't add to this free gift. Now, friends, we're unlikely to be in the same position where people are going to come up to us and say, well, you need to do this, and you need to be circumcised, you need to do that. Not in the same way. But I would say that the danger is still there for us. The danger is still there that we can add to grace. I remember uh, Susanna and I were part of a life group in Stanford. And it was one of those weeks where uh, like everybody dropped out of the life group and there was one person left. And I was going to cancel life group uh, I know, shame on me. But Susanna's a better person than me. So she said, no, let's go. And we went. And there was a, a lady who was in this life group that we didn't know particularly well. And so we were like, just talking about um, her life and, and how she'd come to be in a church and all sorts of other things like that. And she t- told us this story, which has stuck with me for, forever, where she basically said, well, I used to be part of a church um, and I, I thought I understood grace. Um, but she said, but we, we basically used to spend time uh, at the beginning of our life where we would talk about the, you know, how many times we'd read our Bible this week or how many times we prayed or how many times we shared our faith. And then we would put each other up on like a league table. Um, and I was always bottom of the league. And she said, I, c- I couldn't cope with it anymore. I was just bottom of the league. And something within me broke. Because friends, that is not grace. That is not grace. And yet it's so easy for us to fall into this trap of, I've received God's grace and now I must. And now I must do this and now I must do that. I've had other conversations with people that say, well, look, I'm struggling with this and so I've maybe fallen 
out of this. And maybe uh, we've, we've lost track of what it is that God's grace has done for us. It was beautiful to be able to speak to this lady and say, no, you're in grace. You're in grace. He's won it all. It's not about your achievements. You can't achieve anything that's going to make a, a, a jot of difference. He has won it all for you. That's what grace says. And so, friends, I want to extend that challenge to us, not, not to get caught in that mindset that we must perform. He has performed and won it all for us. That's what grace says. But I don't think we've got the same stuff as we see in Galatians, but we do have subtle dangers, subtle dangers where we can slip into this mindset. You know, this week, oh, I, didn't, I didn't read my Bible enough. I didn't pray enough. Oh, how can God love me? All those things. Those things are important. I'm not taken away from that. But friends, we're in grace. We're in grace. And he has won that for us. But how do we then respond to grace? Paul really helps us here, I think, as we continue in chapter 6. Grace enables us to live a godly life. Without his grace, it's impossible to live a godly life. It says you're dead. You can't live a godly life because you're dead. But now you're alive in grace. And through Jesus, if you put your trust and hope in him, he says that you're now dead to sin. You're no longer bound by it. You're no longer bound by the law that you could never meet the requirements of. He's met that requirement for you. He says that's your position, but we read in verse 11. So you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Have this mind, have this in mind. Let me, let me read it. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So consider yourself in this way. Think of yourself like that. Have that mindset that I am dead to sin. It has no grip on me anymore. He has removed it. Have that mind yourself. Is that the way you think? Is that the way you think about yourself? Is that the way that you approach the different challenges in life. Consider yourself dead to sin and now alive in him, that our position has completely changed. Our, our position in him is so different because of his grace. And then he goes on, verse 12, he says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are no longer under law, but under grace. Friends, this is wonderful. Paul is saying, look, this is the truth, that you're in grace. You're dead to sin, you're dead to the law, you could never meet it anyway, but now you're dead to it, you're in Christ. And he's done it. Therefore, remind yourself of that. Verse 11, consider it. Consider it all the time. Think about it. Let it fill your heart. Rejoice in it. Think that way. Not, oh no, I've failed again. No, no, no. Think that way. Think he has won it for me. I'm in his grace. Hallelujah. And then, don't present your body as, in, as you did in, old, in, the, in the ways you were before, in a sinful way, but present them for righteousness. Seek righteousness. Live, seek a godly way of living. All of those things that we talked about before, Bible reading, like um, praying, all those things help us to do that, to, to seek after him, to seek a different way of living. Before, we couldn't do it because we were dead. 
but we're now alive in him through his grace. Friends, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. It's opposed to to a performance that earns us something, but it's not opposed to effort. And it enables us to live that way. It enables us to live in that way, to seek after God, to, to, uh, to fight against sin. And sin has no claim over us. Sadly, we're in this in-between time, which doesn't mean that we're perfect. We don't, none of us will, will be, be perfect now. And we, we all have struggles with sin. And, and so it's important that we approach this subject in light of God's grace, in an understanding of what he's done for us. Remind ourselves of that truth. Remind one another of that truth. When you're praying with one another, why don't you remind one another of the truth in which you stand because of what he's done? But seek after him. Seek these things as, as, as ways of living a godly life because of what he has won for us. Our identity has changed. I, I was talking to some people before about like sometimes it feels like we use grace as a bit of like a polyfiller, like just filling in the, the gaps. But the, the truth is that we've read in Romans 5 is that God's torn down the old house and rebuilt a new one. And that's who you are. You know, it's not about patching up little areas. You're, you're dead to sin. You're alive in Christ. Your position is so different uh, that that's, that's where we are in grace. Our identity is changed. Friends, I want to try and finish off by inviting us to consider this a little bit closer to home and look at the fact that because he is gracious, because he is gracious, this is the king in whom we serve. We've looked at all the goddies, but he's gracious. He's gracious. And I want to uh, finish off this morning by just looking very briefly at Hebrews 4, verse 16, which is a wonderful encouragement, I believe, and we'll then take communion and worship. It says this, Let us therefore, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to his throne of grace. That's the kind of king that we come to this morning. One who is sat on a throne of grace. One in whom we can be confident in approaching, boldly approach. Whatever your weeks look like, it doesn't matter. You can boldly approach a king of grace who is so gracious, who is so aware of our failings and yet invites us, come draw near to me. Not by performance, but through Jesus through Jesus, with confidence. He can sympathise with our weakness. He has been tempted, but is without sin. That's, they're the verses that went before the one we've just read. The writer to the Hebrews is saying, look, this is the kind of God you serve. He's, he's one who knows this. He knows what it's like to be weak. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows all those things. So boldly approach him boldly come to him. He sits on the throne of grace. He's so inherently gracious that his throne is one of grace. And then it says that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Friends, I don't know what's going on for you today, this morning, this week, but these verses are wonderful comfort to us. They say, in a time of need, 
when I need it, he is gracious and merciful. Whatever the season I am in, he has abundant grace for that season. Abundant grace. Not a rationed, not, a, not any kind of other grace. <laughs> a weighed out, measured grace. No, an abundant grace for the season that I'm in now. That's what this verse says. In a time of need, his grace is sufficient for us. Why don't we invite the band back? We're going to take communion in just a few moments. We'll invite the band to start playing in a moment and, and then it, when you're ready, you can take communion. But I want to just invite us to be reminded of what we're celebrating when we do communion. We're celebrating a body broken, Jesus' blood spilt for us. His sacrifice has won so much. And I hope if nothing else we can see from these verses in Romans oh so clearly, where sin increased, his grace was abundant. Where... Uh, where I have failed, he, has, he had washed it away. Where I'm feeling condemned, he has spoken hope to me that I might reign in life through what he has done. We are through him. If you've turned and put your hope and trust in him, if that's, the, if that's true for you this morning, as you take communion, you can be reminded of that hope. You can be reminded of that truth. You can be, uh, be confident of that. We boldly approach a king of grace. Maybe I'll just pray and then hand over to the band. Father, we thank you so much that we serve a king who is on the throne of grace. We don't have to guess what kind of reaction we're going to get from you. We don't have to try and impress you because we couldn't. We can boldly approach through what your son has won for us. We are through Jesus by his grace. We approach boldly the King of grace. And Father, I want to pray that you'd help us now as you bring to mind, I pray, uh, areas in life where we've sought to rely on our own strength, sought to do things our own way, or maybe we've been wayward from you. Father, would you help us? Would you enable us by your grace to come to you confidently this morning, to, um, uh, to, to just know afresh what it means to be those who are trophies of your grace, wonder, wonderful grace that has been won for us. What a saviour you are. Father, would you excite our hearts afresh, I pray in your precious name. Amen.